Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is Dr. Andy Galpin. He's both the creator of the Biomedical and Molecular Exercise Physiology Laboratory at CSU Fullerton, as well as their director of sports performance. He's also a former competitive weightlifter and the co-author of Unplugged, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. And consciousness was the part that really surprised me about the book, but I actually found it super interesting. What are you guys calling consciousness exactly and how do we upgrade it? That's a really good question. This actually was a play on words. And so there's, there's the classic definition of uh, a philosophical, what is a conscious being or what is it not? Mm. Uh, but really the play we wanted to get at with, with having consciousness in the title is, are you simply being aware? Uh, the, the biggest issue we wrote the book for was to try to help people understand with technology now, we're having a battle of, of exchanging our own physiology. Mm. In other words, we're losing our own conscious awareness of what's happening with ourselves. This is really like, do you even, are you even aware of the fact that you're losing awareness? And that's what people really aren't even understanding because with some of the training technology and health technologies, there's pros and cons. It's not an anti-tech book, mm. um, but it is, oh, by the way, this has been slowly being taken away from you and you weren't even aware of that. That's all I want to restore. And so I don't want people to not use these devices. I just want you to use them consciously. And right. that's really what we meant by it. So how do people begin to develop that awareness? You talk about in the book, um, thirst, and you're like, there's a, now an app for that, which is pretty ridiculous. You know, we've had Crazy. millions of years to hone this ability to know when to drink and know when to eat. Um, so how do we become more aware of these things? And how do we develop the intuition um, and the instincts that you guys talk about? Well, several things. Number one, that right there. Simply trying to be aware mm. and paying attention to consuming, paying, whether it's food, whether it's water, whether it's your physical feeling, uh, whether it's your exercise. Maybe when you go to exercise and you go to train, don't be on your fucking phone the whole time. <laughs> Why? Because that thing that you're feeling in between your set, you should be feeling, but you're not because you're now adding external stimuli. So then when we ask questions or, or when a, your trainer or your coach or the person you're consulting with is trying to ask you questions about how that feel or what did you, how, what went on in that rep, how did that thing go? You don't have any time to downgrade and process what's actually happened and think about what's going to go on next mm. because you're, too you're spending too much time stepping out of your own brain and your own physiology and going to the external stimuli. Thirst, same thing. Like, Are you really thinking about how thirsty you are or hungry you are? Um, this is one of the reasons why I like fasting uh, in different aspects simply because if I then take you and take some of these stimuli away and then I ask you, well, did you notice what that felt like when you got hungry? 
Was it really hunger? You think your blood crashed, your blood sugar really crashed mm. because you didn't have a meal in 30 minutes? Or do you think that you just simply got behaviorally because you weren't paying attention and you got behaviorally ready to eat there and it didn't happen, now all of a sudden you're throwing off your thing? So the first thing would be simply becoming aware of what's happening. And the easiest way to do that is to decrease the amount of external stimuli coming in. And just being with your own self as much as possible. And then number two, this is when we can bring in technologies and we can start putting objective and subjective measures behind your progress, your performance, whatever thing that it is that you're interested in. Um, but those things need to be in order. The final step would then be to go back away from the technology and see if you can now understand the signal that your body told you. So let me give you an example. Say you're having a hard time controlling your blood glucose. Or you at least felt like that. You felt, man, I'm getting these crashes up and down all day. I think it's my blood glucose. Okay, fine. Number one, step number one would be that awareness. Good. You felt the sensations that your body's telling you. That's a start. Step number two, now let's deploy some technology. Let's measure your blood glucose constantly. Okay, fantastic. Step number three would then be say, hey, I am noticing actually based on my data, based on what I'm feeling, when I do these types of behaviors, um, eating lies or whatever else, caffeine, stimulants, this is when I have my problems. But don't stop there. The final step is then to say, okay, come back now. Can I remove that technology and match the same feeling and fix it? Mm. You should be able to then identify when you don't have your continuous glucose monitor on to go, hey, you know what? I'm feeling right now that I'm starting to get irritable or I'm doing this. I need to fix my lifestyle again. I need to go back and I know this is a problem when I'm not sleeping. I notice this is an issue I get when I didn't have enough water today mm. or I had a poor choice in food. Mm. But if you can't then understand your own physiology to a level where you can fix that without needing more technology, you're gonna fail. That's the short game. And I want you to play the long game. That's really an interesting concept. You talk a lot about blocking and tackling. Like if people dive into your world, they're gonna hear that, not those words, but you're gonna talk yeah. about getting back to the basics, doing the simple things. Um, paint me that lifestyle. What is the lifestyle of blocking and tackling? So clearly we have being aware, like really stopping, listening to your yeah. body, figuring out where you're at. Um, that to me is, is the interesting part about wearing a continuous glucose monitor is to develop the awareness so that if you didn't have it, that 100%. you know where you're at. But getting that, the, developing the awareness to associate, I feel this way and it's in this broader context. I think people aren't diving into that. Um, so what is that blocking and tackling? What is that sort of getting back to basics lifestyle look like so that people can you know, step into a life that feels awesome, which I assume is sort of the point for you to, to put people in a, a state where they feel great. Yeah, I don't have a prescription to give you for that. Mm. And I don't think there should be one. Meaning a one size fits all. Yeah, or meaning like here is the, this is how your day should be set up. Here are the routines you should have. Here are the things you should do and not do. Um, not only will I not give you that, but I don't think that should exist. I don't think we should strive for that. So how do people titrate their own lives? Like how do they find what makes, what works for them? So a, a, a handful of things. Number one, again, paying attention to begin with. What are the problems you're having? Um, are we sure that those are problems? And then we can question those assumptions. So I think a second ago you said something like, okay, I've got my glucose monitor continually going. And I noticed that association when I do this behavior and my blood glucose goes down of whack. Well, I would actually question that assumption right there. Why are you letting something like a blood glucose measure control then how you behave? 
Can I answer that question? Absolutely. So the reason that I do it is largely because I want to have a health span that's extraordinarily long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a base assumption, and I'm super open, so if this base mm-hmm. assumption is wrong, let me know. But my base assumption is that within a range, if I can keep my glucose on the lower end, I mean, I'll peg sort of ideal for where I feel good and where I think has Mm -hmm. optimal longevity. And like you, I'm not dogmatic, so I'm Mm -hmm. super open to being changed. So just trying to do things that I think aren't going to fuck me up. That's why I wear it. So Because I'm constantly testing foods. So for instance, um, sweet potato, how does it affect me? Do Japanese sweet potatoes affect me differently than otherwise? Is it Mm -hmm. different if I air fry it versus eat them raw? Like I want to to not just trust like how I feel, but to see like is there mm. an impact um, between my average glucose level and say my HA1C levels, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. That's where I'm headed with it. Totally fine. Here's the point. You have a thesis, you have a hypothesis mm-hmm. rather, right? So you have something that you think is going on. Then we can deploy this technology to help get us information there. But we also have to step back originally to say, okay, all this is under the foundation that you're assuming having a very tightly controlled blood glucose is what's needed for the long-term benefit there, right? Well, what happens if that's not the case? We have huge problems, right? Now, in this particular case, it's probably not an issue, uh, but with other technologies, they can be, or with anything like this, any aspect of our life, if we come back to the original base assumption, let's assume that that's actually wrong. Mm. How much of that did you let influence your life? How much did you let the fact that you woke up and your, heart, your HRV score maybe was middle today or poor? Mm. We actually have good evidence on this now that oftentimes that can lead people into having a poor day. And so what I don't want to happen is, for example, you check a food and all of a sudden you see a little bit of uh, elevation in your blood glucose beyond what you like. I don't want you then to say, oh my God, okay, because of that, I'm now going to have a mood swing today. All right, you're onto something super fucking important. So um, now let me ask it a different way. So you deal in the world of deep fucking nuance, um, but you also said that you, if somebody bumps into you in the grocery store and says, hey, what do I do? You're like, uh, just fucking avoid sugar and carbs and you'll be fine. Even though you know that that's sure. sort of bullshit, but it's like, it gives them an easy answer that's probably for a lot of people correct. What do you deploy in your own life? Because I live in real paranoia of like, do I supplement vitamin D? Like, yeah. Yeah. Is that stupid? Like, are we going to find out in five years? What the fuck? I remember I used to go ham telling people you need to be all over fish oil. Sure. And then stuff starts coming out that maybe it's not that. And, uh, yeah. So I'm constantly hesitant to go too hard in any direction. But are there things yeah. in your life that you sort of go, I'm pretty sure this yeah. is advantageous? So I, I like that question a lot. I think it's very, very clear at this point in movement. Um, we need to have a combination of movements. So um, there's physical activity, what I'll call it, right? So just are you burning enough calories throughout the day? And, and we all understand now with the change in technologies how that's changed human behavior, right? Mm. If you look at the Industrial Revolution, if you look at mm. the technology revolution, the robotics revolution that's sort of beginning we're kind of in right now, um, the basal amount of physical activity a human would go through for basically our entire existence as a species is crashing to an end mm. in a very, very short amount of time relative to evolution, right? So that needs to be replaced. And this is when you see things like a walking treadmill or people that are just trying to do more movement, right? That's one. We also need to put back in things where uh, heart rate gets extremely elevated. We need to put things back in that or non-binary movements. So yeah, okay, that's great. You moved up and down, controlled. That's fantastic, that's a piece, but we need to have other exchanges of movements. I think things like martial arts and grappling are a fantastic way to get this non-controlled 
non-specific movement in, which is very, very important. Uh, I would argue on overall uh, physical health. We need to do something that challenges our ability to sustain output over time. Um, if you want to call this cardio, you can. I would never call it that. But can you sustain an elevated in work, a decent elevated in work for an hour? Out of curiosity, why wouldn't you call that cardio? Well, because cardio just refers to heart, right? And so most people would say it's anything that elevates your heart rate, right? Well, that's anything. Anything that's above you, one beat above your resting is then technically cardio. So it's non-specific. It doesn't tell me anything. Mm. Cardio could be lifting weights. Cardio could be going for a walk. Typically, people think cardio or aerobic are things that we do for our heart health mm. or for fat loss. And then we think, okay, anaerobic things or resistance exercise or strength training are things that we do if we want to look big and buff and, or for an athlete. And that gets people doing two types of exercise. I do cardio or I lift weights. Thousand percent. I fall into that. That's the fucking problem. Mm. That's why I hate those labels because we now have people living on these two extremes, which are good things for you. But what about all the fucking shit in between? And I hate that message of okay, either I jog for an hour or I go lift weights. Mm. Like that's it. You don't do anything else. How much variety do you do in your workout? Do you get a it? Tremendous from amount. Because you're doing martial arts, or do you really like? I do BJJ on Monday. I'm playing basketball on Tuesday. It's soccer Wednesday. I'm swimming Thursday. Like, how do you in your own life mix it up? Um, so I don't think about the outcome like that. I think about what's the physiological system that needs to be challenged, and then do that. And how do you define what needs to be challenged? Like, do you have a goal in mind where you like, yep. oh, I want to accomplish this, and is that goal? So, like, uh, yep. to to give you an example, my primary driver is longevity with an element of performance. So I want to live for a very, very long time. I would not want to be just like alive, but hating my life. Mm, so of course, yeah. Well, let's look at what actually predicts longevity and wellness span, as you said, not necessarily lifespan. Mm. And these are two very, very different things. Um, primary, as we understand it now, the things that predict that are things like your VO2 max. This is the most amount of oxygen you can bring in and utilize. First, you have to bring in oxygen. Okay, so let's look at the mechanics of how you breathe. Let's look at the fatigue of the respiratory muscles. Let's look at how you exchange oxygen for carbon dioxide. Then the oxygen has to be put in the blood. Let's look at how well your capillaries function. Let's look at your, uh, the, the ability of your arteries and veins to, to, to expand and contract. Mm. Are they pliable or are they rigid? Let's move through there. Then that oxygen has to get put into muscle. Those are via capillaries. Now let's look at your muscle's ability to extract oxygen and take it up. Okay, then the muscle has to put oxygen into the mitochondria. How is that ability? Do you have a lot of mitochondria? Do you have few? Do they function well or do they not? Then that has to actually cause, uh, help you go through some sort of metabolic process that helps utilize oxygen to make energy. Is that functioning well? Then from there, the muscle has to contract all the way back up. Then that goes back up to the heart. So you trace every single step and you figure out where is it in this chain that your VO2 max is being limited by. Mm. It may be just your heart. It may be a breathing mechanics issue. It may be a muscle issue. It could be an enzymatic issue, which means it could be a diet issue. Could be a sleep issue because, uh, say hormonally, you're, you're off whack. So that's what I mean when I, I don't think of the outcome like cardio versus strength. I think, okay, what am I trying to get to? What's physiologically the problem area? And then address that. Uh, the other pieces for longevity are muscle mass. Having a ton of muscle mass, um, and having a bunch of strength is really, really, really critical to longevity, especially wellness span. Within that, in my world, there are different types of muscle fibers. So there's fast-twitch muscle fibers that produce force and strength. 
and there are uh, slow twitch muscle fibers that, that help you resist fatigue. Well, what's pretty evident is the fast twitch muscle fibers are the ones that you lose with aging. And the only way to keep those things alive are to do high force contractions. You can't keep those alive any other way. And so you start saying things like that, and I start saying, well, how much heavy strength training are you doing? So yeah, you can continue to hack all your mitochondria all you want, you're gonna be weak as fuck. Mm. But that's gonna be a problem, because you can't move yourself. So think about it this way. Why is it somebody that gets, gets out of breath walking upstairs as they get older? It's not because their mitochondria suck. It's not because they can't produce energy, because that's not an energy demanding activity. Mm. It's because they got weak. So yeah, your heart rate sucks and your resting heart rate gets up and you're out of breath and your VO2, all this stuff goes down and blah, blah, blah. You're looking at the wrong thing. You have to look at what's caused the issue, mm. which is not the symptom, right? Which is my heart rate is high or my blood glucose is high, whatever. By the way, you know, do you know what actually regulates blood glucose the most? Do tell. The fast twitch muscle fibers. Interesting. If I'm trying to train specifically the fast twitch fibers, do I need to concentrate on doing a certain type of exercise? No. It's not the exercise per se. So remember, an exercise is simply an external stress. It's fake. It's something we're using to cause an internal stimulus. Mm. If you want to turn on the fast twitch muscle fibers in your hamstrings and your glutes and your quads, I don't care if you want to do a hex bar deadlift, if you want to do some squat, if you want to do a leg press machine, it doesn't matter. It's just simply what you're using to help your muscles contract. In fact, there's other non-lifting things you could possibly do. Single leg squat, perhaps. Uh, with no weight at all, depending on how strong you are, or maybe some stairs. Different things you can do. The point is you need to be challenging the muscle's ability to contract really hard. Um, I mean, if you go back to what we were saying ago, like, not only are the faster muscle fibers the bigger ones, but they're the ones that are better at using glucose as a fuel. Mm. Uh, slow twitch muscle fibers are better at using fat as a fuel. So if you're having a hard time regulating that glucose, also happens to happen very commonly in people who don't strength train. Maybe it's not just the fact that your liver doesn't handle the glucose well, or you've got a gut microbiome problem. Those are all possibilities. It also could be the fact that you don't strength train. Those fibers are dormant and or gone. And what we know very clearly is the plasticity within the muscle, in other words, its ability to change its composition, changes really rapidly. So if you haven't strength trained or done anything heavy in weeks, decades, then I would say, okay, then we need to put you in a situation in which you're doing something that challenges the muscle. Um, and as many of them. I don't want you to go to the gym and be like, okay, I do these three exercises. Because you're probably not challenging all the muscle in mm. enough of a variety, and that's not sustainable over time, right? So we want, we want variation, but there's a difference between variation in our training and randomization. That's interesting. Randomization is not a good idea. There's no Why? plan, there's no purpose. Okay. Right, we want variation, so which, which means I want to do different exercises in in different ways, but there needs to be a plan or a purpose. There needs to be some sort of progression, some sort of logic behind why we do it as opposed to, I'm gonna do this exercise today. Why? Because that machine is open. Right. Fantastic, okay, like sometimes that happens. Uh, but we need skill, just I mean, if we applied that to any aspect of our life, you'd be like, well, that's crazy. Same thing with your training. So we need to have someone that can help you or yourself um, choose these things in a very specific progression and um, variation path so that we're getting to where we want to get to. Uh, that helps us avoid the overtraining issues and it helps us continually progressively overload, which is one of the things that we have to do to challenge the muscles. It can, mm. has to be progressively overloaded. But you can't just simply say, okay, I'll just add five pounds to the same movement every time. How long does that last? Not very, right? So for you to, for your wellness question, 
That's what I would say is, okay, are we doing enough of that? Um, for the VO2 max piece, we'd have to figure out where exactly your problem is, but it's typically in the same two areas. Your ability to sustain work over time, uh, elevated work. So this is not like, can you go for a four hour hike? Um, but I'm talking more like uh, an elevated heart rate at say 80%. How long can you go? 20 minutes, 25, 30, 40. Mm. And the other one would be the opposite of a shorter, extremely high um, physical challenge. So something like interval training, but really, really, really difficult. So if you piece that together, that looks like a little bit of strength training, a little bit of interval, and a little bit of the steady state movement. So we would play in all of those areas in, in a progressive fashion, in a planned um, order such that we get all those challenges. If you do that, you'd be about as bulletproof physically as, as you could possibly be. Now, what about some of the getting back to nature stuff? Like, yeah. should people be thinking about forest bathing? Should they be thinking about sunlight, sleep? Like, so people want to get fancy. They want to get in, into the, like, deep nuance. Yeah, but yeah. instead, like, hey, the reason your team is losing is because you don't fucking block and tackle. So, like, take care of the really basic stuff first. Good. Um, I've heard you talk about sleep. It's, yeah. like, profound effects on testosterone, things like that. And I thought, wow, this, it's actually really true. Like, you understand the nuance so much. It's so tempting to want to just pick a topic and go fucking a thousand miles deep. And I know yeah. you can do it. But the reality is your answer to people is always, you said even when you're dealing with elite athletes, you're like, I first look at, like, the most basic shit because they're all over the map. I have a couple of athletes that I've worked with that I, we have to do advanced blood testing things on. The vast majority, it's not. Mm. The vast majority, it is, it is not even blocking and tackling. It's you didn't even show up to the stadium on the right day. Right. <laughs> like you're not even the fucking building yet. So with the blocking and tackling, it's okay. Are you consistently bad with your sleep, or did you just go through a couple of nights of sleep deprivation, which I'm actually a fan of. Interesting. You actively do sleep deprivation. Uh, yesterday I was up at 1:30. In the morning, right? After like a very short window of sleep or oh, you absolutely. were still up until? No, no, no. Night? Like I woke up at 1.30 in the morning, my day started. Wow. Okay. And moved on. Um, uh, did you set an alarm? Absolutely. Interesting. So I don't think there's any magic to those numbers. What is magic for sleep is consistency for the most part. Um, what I don't want people to be is slightly consistently underslept. Okay. That's a good tip. That's, that's a problem, right? So that's if you're constantly, or you're just extreme variation, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, I slept four hours last night and I slept 11 tonight. Like that is a recipe for disaster. So for me, it is very planned. Okay, I'm gonna go through short periods of sleep deprivation and then I'm gonna pay that back by going through a solid two and a half or three weeks of no less than 10 a night. Like these massive recovery phases that we go through. And then you kind of reset a little bit, go back. So I wouldn't recommend, I think in the book, we go through some sleep challenges uh, thirst challenges, same thing, hunger challenges, uh, physical activity challenges, performance, like all of them. So I'm just taking the same thing that everyone would do with their health, or with their food, and say, well, why not extend this to everything else? Mm. The problem is people will do these short sleep challenges, uh, but then they won't pay it back, right? So if you go through short periods, say, of fasting, you need to pay it back with feeding, right? If you go through a period, and this happens to me occasionally, and I'm sure many people that you associate with, where workload just gets out of control. I'm good at that. I'm actually good with people like going absolutely nuts with work for short periods of time. The difference is that has to then be paid back immediately. Mm. Right? We, we have to pay back the exercise with recovery. We gotta pay back the sleep deprivation. If, somebody, if I'm working with somebody and they're having a hard time getting to sleep, or it's like, yeah, I, I struggle, I'm up kinda on and on, one of the things I will do is let's go through some short-term sleep deprivation. They're constantly sleep deprived, mm. so let's make it terrible for a couple of days. 
is the goal that they would then, as long as they're scheduling it, that they would be able to sleep longer when they do sleep? This is doing a couple of things. Number one, it kind of just feels like a reset. Because the next night when they go to bed, and say they go to bed at 11, by the time 11 comes, it's no question. Like they're absolutely ready to go. And we just broke that pathway, we're out. Now I wouldn't do this right before a competition or anywhere close for the athletes I work with. This is something like, let's come back and do a reset afterwards and see if we can figure some things out. Number two, um, it helps them realize how terrible they feel. Because now I exacerbated the problem. So, okay, sleep's a problem. Let's go as worse as we possibly can. Now, now how you feel, right? And then I don't have to convince them anymore that they're okay in six hours. Mm. But again, this, here's the difference. What I'm saying right now is planned variation, mm. not randomization. Randomization is a problem with training, with food, with sleep. Um, you need to have the resiliency to be able to handle, I think, in, in general, normal person life. Um, so, like right now, my, my sleep is... Um, the resiliency is being tested quite often because <laughs> I have a child, I have a baby. Uh, but so in my mind, it's like, okay, when those things happen and it's unplanned and it's not within my control, mm. I know I can handle it. Why? Because I did the sleep deprivation stuff voluntarily and I was fine. I executed. Mm. How important is the mind in all this? Well, it's the whole thing, right? So physiologically, what's it doing? Probably not much. Uh, were they doing resetting how they approach something? That's, that's what we're getting at. Yeah, I heard you talking one time about the, some of the MMA fighters that you were working with and some of the weird things that you did with them and you were like, oh, that may have just worked on their confidence, but I don't care because that's so powerful. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You always back off in talks like, ah, oh, I'm not a psychologist, but you actually have some pretty interesting insights into it. I'm not a psychologist. So I don't have any training in those areas. And I, I don't know if what I do is backed by science. All I can simply say is, look, what we call in science evidence-based practice. And this is what we hope people are always living by. Um, a third of that evidence-based science is science, right? What's the data show? A third of that is what you've experienced, and the other third of that is what other people in the field, experts you can glean from. When I have an athlete come to me and we're working together, say, on nutrition, I know what the research says, but I also know that there's never been a research study ever published on a 35-year-old, 130-pound Mexican pro MMA fighter. So, like, there, there's no science on her. So, I, okay, I'm going to take my best as I can with the, the data, but then I'm going to take my personal experience, I'm going to take her personal background experience, and then when she comes to me and says, Here, here's what I have to do, here's what I want to do, here's the things that I've done in the past, I'm running this calculation in my head that says, okay, she's terrified of carbohydrates. All right. If I push back on this right now, what's going to happen? I don't know, right? And so I'm running that calculation going, maybe, you know what? It's not worth the fight right now. How is it that I can put them in the best situation to succeed while getting them closer uh, to the evidence-based practice? That's all I'm really trying to do is as I'm trying to cut off the, the terrible ideas, get them closer to get them um, doing better things, but this is a process. Uh, and any of the athletes I've been fortunate enough to work with, our plans evolve over time. And after two or three fight camps, then I start getting them in a position where I understand uh, what their actual body does, mm. understand what their simply not willing to not do or do. And then it's like, okay, well, you're going to choose to do that. Let me see if I can help you do that better. How do you approach mindset in your own life? So, for instance, you have a baby, which is yeah. very interesting to hear how you address that. Yeah. Um, do you have rules around mindset, like things that you uh, demand of yourself or anything like that? I don't know if I'd call them rules. 
I grew up in a logging kind of country town. My father, my grandfather, my mom, my every basically kid I grew up with, uh, there was tons of reasons to lose, but there was never because someone outworked you. Like that just wasn't possible. And uh, responsibility was a, a huge thing when I grew up. That was just the mentality. A lot of the kids that I grew up with would have to go take care of the animals before work, or they had uh, jobs feeding horses or whatever. And then they do that, and then you go to school, and then we go to football practice. We would lift, like, and then we do our homework, etc. So, um, like, I don't know anything different. I would love to say that I have this mental strength or something, but like, to me, when something goes wrong, if uh, a study doesn't go well or an athlete doesn't perform, I don't know anything besides, okay, Andy, you fucked up. Like, we can do this better. This is this is great. And, and personally, I like that because then I'm like, yes. It's when things go wrong. And you don't know why. That's when I'm like, oh. What do you do in those moments? You just, you, you make sure there isn't something you can't find. Like you go back and you look, right? Was there something that I overmissed? What, mm. what could I have done different? Uh, with MMA, it's hard because win-loss is not a good metric. Right? Sometimes I did a great job and it was perfect and the athlete turned this way and they got kicked. Mm. Or they fought somebody better than them. That, that's just, that just happens, right? Mm. That's part of why I love doing it is because you don't know. There's just way too many variables. So we got to figure it out. Um, and so, so walk yeah. me through that process. So the people watching right now, they're almost certainly not professional MMA fighters anyway, but they're living yeah. their life. They have a baby. And so there are real challenges that they're facing. They're not sure what they should be looking at. They, they buy into awareness. So yeah. they get that. They're already doing that. They're trying to think through, I, I did this and I had this kind of thing. They're certainly, if they're watching my channel, they're hyper aware of mindset. Um, but like even myself, so you talk about... Um, maybe spikes in glucose aren't yeah. problematic. I actually, that, that really um, hit me and that's making me rethink what I should be doing. Um, so that's super interesting. Heart yeah, rate variability we I, I don't about. want, what I'd say is, I don't want people to be fragile. Okay, I love that, but define what you mean by that. What would fragility look like and then what's the thing you want them to be? Not handling any unplanned stress. If you can't handle an unplanned stress in any aspect of your life, and a little bit of stress causes a big problem, mm. that to me is fragile. All right, let's say that they are fragile. What do they do? So challenge that directly. Challenge the assumption. Um, so is the fragileness coming from the fact that you anticipated or had a larger response than was necessary? Um, in the world of MMA, we would call this, did you, did you go for the faint? Right? So someone threw a jab at you and you jumped three feet to the left. Mm. You should have just moved an inch. Right? Okay. Or was it the fact that you needed to move six feet, right? Because someone threw a head kick. Uh, so this is a problem, right? You, and, and this is just t spending time with yourself, right? Did I move unnecessarily too far? In other words, did I exaggerate my response? Did I freak out? Did I, should I have not responded like that? Or if I actually responded appropriately, why did I have such a big response? That's probably because I haven't challenged that. Uh, metabolic flexibility is a very easy one here. So I believe that uh, unless you have an extremely abnormal disease situation. You should be able to handle, say, a bolus of carbohydrate. If you aren't, it's probably because you're not challenging that system. Uh, and just to give me some numbers, where would you say I am, I'm no longer handling it? Like if I'm spiking over 200, if I'm spiking over 110? Like... No, uh, you couldn't put a number behind that because physiology is too different. So you might feel at 150 how I feel at 200. So is it a feeling? Like, oh, I feel lightheaded or... It would be a feeling and a number, and I would say we want to use them both in conjecture. Okay. Right, which is say, like, 
okay, and I noticed I was at 200, and I also felt like this. And mm. I, I can't tell you one of them is more important than the other one. Um, physiology is just, just too different for us to say that. So I would use both. Um, use whatever ones you want to come out there. But if you say, for example, had 25 grams of carbohydrate, and you felt like you got sluggish, and you felt your stomach cramp, that's a problem. Mm. Like, that's not a lot of carbohydrate in a single, uh, let's just say it was even a, a fast elevating glucose. Right. Okay. So you then want to have one of two options. You change your entire lifestyle around such that you never ever come in contact with a carbohydrate. Or you work on challenging that. Let's go for like an allergy. So with my kid right now, we're dosing her with peanut butters. Oh, this is fucking interesting. We're going to get hate mail for this. I love it already. So walk me through the protocol. So and, and it's preemptive, right? You have no reason to believe she. Yeah, she. You have no reason to believe she is allergic. You just want to make sure that we get some early exposure. Exactly. Okay. So, so how do we start doing that? You start very small. Mm -hmm. You dose. You wait. Come back. And those dosages start going up, 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 up. That's all it is. So initially, it was literally taking a little bit of, say, peanut butter. And it's like touching it on her cheek. Okay, great. Come back. Watch for a few hours. Any hives? Anything? Did she get a runny nose? A couple days later, uh, probably two, three days later. Come back, same thing. Okay, do that for a week or something. And now get some on her tongue, move forward. Did she get colicky? Did she have any things like that? Okay, no, fantastic. Now you start feeding her smaller amounts. It's just simple, like this is basic sixth grade science. Mm. Start, respond, like don't give them like, okay, change this variable, this variable, that variable. You change right. one variable at a time. You'd be very, very, very slow and patient. It's the same thing when you work out. It's the same thing with your food. Like it's, it's any part of your life. It's the same fucking system. Little bit of change. Patience, change one variable at a time, track, measure accordingly, be objective, be subjective, use it all, and go over time. What other protocols? This is so interesting, a scientist with a baby. I've never had this uh, conversation before. Yeah. What, do you have any other protocols that you're doing, whether it's allergy or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, we do that basically with everything. So we expose her to as many things as we possibly can. Give um, me some examples. So the sun. Like we put her directly out in the sun. Mm. Um, we don't do it, now she's 10 months, so she gets a little more sun exposure. But I'm not gonna lather her up and cover her in uh, full head to toe gear and or sun blocking cream every mm. time she goes to see the sun. But the first time we took her out in the sun, it was like, okay, sun, okay, out. <laughs> right, I mean, you're talking, when they're little, you've got less than a minute, right. something like that. And that slowly goes up over time. Any other food the same way. I expose her, I'm fortunate, uh, I'm able to harvest my own animal meat. So we expose her to all kinds of different animal meats. You raise animals? You hunt? I hunt. Okay. I hunt. And you use the meat? Yeah. I mean, like last year I came back with probably 280 pounds, 300 pounds. That's a lot. Uh, and um, uh, what is, uh, let's call it a week average, what's your ratio of meat of any kind, including fish, and vegetables? I typically have, I'll put it this way, meat at just about every feeding, mm -hmm. if you will. And I, I don't know if I'd ever miss a feeding without vegetable either. And I know it's going to be different for everybody, but I'm trying to introduce more vegetable variety into my life. So yeah. I'm, I'm asking Loves. directly for myself. Yeah. Give me like some of your top ones that maybe you're like, I eat your kale, bok choy, yeah, yeah. collard greens, asparagus. Like I think I get the typical ones, but basically I eat green shit. Yep. Like what else? I'm trying to avoid peppers right now because I have a suspicion that uh, lectins hurt my joints. So what are some like non nightshady 
things that I can get some color in. Yeah, well, um, the easier play would be to go to fruit. Interesting. You get loads of colors there. Do you think there. of vegetables, though, as being the same as fruit? I think of fruit as being edge. I, I think it's nature's candy. That's the real, just direct fucking statement. Well, I would directly totally fucking disagree. Yeah, see, I knew that was coming. Um, okay, so but do, you, do you think of fruits and vegetables? Or do you think of fruits and vegetables? Separate. Okay. Absolutely. But Put it this way. So, for example, myself or when I work with an athlete, basically vegetables don't count towards, towards the allotment of calories or carbohydrates. Okay. Even something like carrots? No, because the, the, this is, I'm glad you put this up. I, I just uh, had a super fiery post about this on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Uh, carrots have been fucking bastardized. People need to, like, no offense. Mm. None taken. But people need to fucking read. People constantly talk about how much sugar is in, carb- in, or in carrots, mm. and it's actually super low in sugar. It's just a higher percentage of it. It is very, very high in glycemic index, but it is tremendously low in glycemic load. And those differences are critically important. Ooh, explain. So glycemic index is a basic, basically people think about this is how quickly will a carbohydrate or glucose get from a food into your blood sugar, yep. right? And it's pretty high in, in carrots, especially if you cut them small and cook them, right? And you've, you've broken down many of the cell walls, you're gonna be able to get macronutrients out pretty quickly, right? The difference though being the, the glycemic load takes into account how much actual sugar is actually in the food, and that's tremendously low for the carrot. So to get a noticeable uh, large response in your blood glucose from carrots, you would have to consume a boatload of carrot. So that's the major problem. I mean, just look at the calories. So a giant carrot has virtually no calories. Mm. It's tiny. So how can there be a lot of carbohydrate, a lot of sugar in something that also doesn't have any calories? It's really, really difficult. So um, you start talking other root vegetables. Now those things can be a little more dense. Mm. Uh, but carrots are really... Again, assuming you're eating them, say, raw and a giant whole carrot, it's really pretty manageable. I would be very shocked if you ate a carrot and had a, any noticeable change in blood glucose. Mm. If you do, I would say you're very, very, very intolerant to carbohydrate. And to me, I would say that's a problem. Mm. Um, unless you're very specifically, say, six months deep into doing a very particular keto protocol or something like that, which, right. is, which is cool, right? In that case, you have intentionally going back to conscious. You're consciously trying to do something over here for whatever reason, which I'm cool with that. But if the goal is just to sort of be living and a carrot raises your blood glucose noticeably, you're having problems constantly throughout the day. I guarantee you're probably getting a big blood glucose spike from protein too, um, which is gonna be a huge issue, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, what do you, you wanna really put yourself in a situation where all you can eat all day is like avocado? I don't think that's something we should strive to is I guess the way I'll say it. So do some people need to do that? I would grant you that. Probably not where we should be steering the ship for most people though. I think that's a problem. All right, so getting back to fruit. So vegetables don't count, even carrots. Yep. Do your fucking reading, I'm on it. Uh, Fruits, where do we go with fruits? Are there fruits that you think are um, maybe better? God, I try to avoid words I know you're gonna hate, but. No, um, well better is always dependent upon context, right? Mm. So what do you mean by better? What's the goal? What's the purpose? I'm trying to get um, color variety because of its implications in micronutrients. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get more micronutrients into my system to hedge uh, against overdoing any one thing because my obsession is longevity and wellness. Yeah, fair enough. But I would still simply say, like, how are you using that carbohydrate within the day? So for example, 
I, I joke about this all the time, but a spike in blood glucose is almost always associated as negative when in fact this is the most important good thing post-exercise. Mm. So I would come back and say, if you have a food that you know spikes your blood glucose, that doesn't mean it's a bad food. Right. This is a food now that we need to understand when to use and when to not use. Like for example, if you're trying to recover from a very difficult workout and you have multiple workouts or you're gonna train again the next day or you wanna optimize your recovery, this is a time to deploy, say a fruit, or to deploy something that's going to maybe spike your blood glucose because that's not a bad thing, remember. Mm. That system needs to be challenged. So your ability to handle a bump in blood glucose, I would argue, should be challenged occasionally. I would certainly argue should not be challenged repeatedly <laughs> or constantly, like we call this diabetes, right? <laughs> or the net result's gonna be, you're gonna become insulin sensitive versus right. resistant, right? But that doesn't mean we should avoid anything at all costs because if you avoid it at all costs, what's gonna to happen to that ability? It's gonna go away. Mm. That, that system needs to be challenged a little bit. How much, how often you should challenge it, I think comes down to the person now. Um, what are you doing exercise-wise? If you're training a lot using fast-twitch muscle fibers, then that's gonna be handled very well and very well processed. If not, you don't. So for example, if I'm traveling, or have say three or four days of basically uncontrolled work. I'm probably not gonna be choosing very many high glycemic responding, high gly glycemic load foods. Mm. Don't need it, right? But if I'm gonna be training a lot or I'm stable, and which is what I try to do often, then I'm gonna use those to my advantage to enhance recovery, particularly for an athlete or um, even myself. You need to actually pay attention to the research and pay attention to the fact that people talk about, for example, fructose and the fact that it's processed in the liver. And that's a problem. It can be if you're over-consuming, just like anything else. But the fact that when you burn muscle glycogen, you start eventually using blood glucose. You refuel your blood glucose from the liver. So if you train really, really hard, you see a depletion in liver glycogen. Fruit is then, therefore, the best way to replenish that because it's going to go directly there. That's the, pro that's the point of it. Mm. So we use this to our advantage. People, for whatever reason, like to give berries. Like, a, like the, okay, that's the okay one. But like, fuck, don't eat watermelons. Super high in sugar. Go look, like go look at the actual numbers in a watermelon. Go look, actually watermelon's pretty high in satiety, so it makes you feel pretty full, uh, and it's almost entirely water, it's very low in sugar. Mm. So like people just think those things because they're like, oh, it's super sweet, and it is. Sweetness index versus total amount of load of sugar in the amount of watermelon that people actually would consume on a normal basis, it's different. And, and so I'm not an advocate of people who are in very low energy expenditure consuming a bunch of unnecessary uh, carbohydrate. I'm never going to be a proponent of that. Mm. Um, but do I think most people should be consuming at least a piece of, of fresh whole fruit a day? Probably, um, for the most part. And that's where we can get our variety. I, I don't think the fact that apples used to be this big and now they're this big is like death changing things. Like this is no, these are not a real issue for people who are generally physically active. Mm. Um, if that's the case, then eat half the apple. Make it do it in slices. Like there, there are ways we can get around these things without without um, getting us there. So for you personally, I would say, um, I would start playing with different fruits and see how much of those things, act, especially if you have the glucose monitor on, mm. um, let's see. Um, there's also ways you can mitigate that too. So for example, uh, if you consume that fruit with fiber or if you consume it with protein, you'll, I almost guarantee you blunt your glucose response. Mm. Um, so those are things I would say play with if you're interested. Um, mm. Do I think you can live a full, fulfilled, happy life with Little fruit, yeah, totally. I don't, I don't think you have to get anything really in. So I'm not like a, I'm not sponsored by the National Fruit Organization <laughs> or something like that. 
I, I just don't like when people get too far to one extreme. Yeah, I, I actually lived my life there for a long time. Captain phobia of most everything, quite honestly. Certainly carbohydrates, even yeah. uh, went pretty hard against fat for years and years and years, uh, only to suffer massive consequences because of it. So now it's like I really am trying to... One, hedge my bet with variety, which just seems like a a pretty natural response. I think we have a number of unexplored areas of food. Mm. And when you bring up variety, like my mind right now is really interested in things like mushrooms, uh, things like sea-based food. Interesting. Why on both of those? Yeah, so because I don't think we've spent enough time thinking about them. Mm. And that is 100% why. I think we've spent all of our time thinking about where do we get our fruits and vegetables and meat. And then our, our producible grains, um, root vegetables, things like that. And, and that's all really good. But if you look at, if you question that general assumption, you start stepping back and you think, okay, like if we start looking at all the possible foods, why is it we've decided these are our only foods? Okay, then what other stuff are we not consuming that's right there in front of us? And my guess is that if we spent more time on mushrooms, we would start feeling like, oh, maybe this is a way to get some of this variety of There's a whole host of things that we're probably not getting um, in other places there. Well, then let's look at the ocean too, same thing. Like, look, let's, let's look at some of the stuff that maybe other cultures have used for a long time, but we don't use in our culture or that we simply are not at mass scale. Mm. I love the scientific non-dogmatic approach. Tell people where they can find you and engage with that approach more frequently. Yeah, um, social media is uh, the easiest way. So um, at Dr. Andy Galpin there, um, I am a bit different where I, I take basically as much as my, my undergraduate and graduate curriculum and I put it up on my YouTube page. Nice. So my goal is to literally put my entire exercise physiology, nutrition, strength conditioning, all my classes up on that YouTube page. So that's up there and I think it's just Andy Galpin on YouTube. Um, that's all on my website as well, same name. But I think uh, the way that I put it together, you're not going to find in an exercise physiology textbook or a strength conditioning textbook, but it's all up there for free and you can check that stuff out. Cool, man. I love it. All right. If you were going to have people make one change to their lifestyle, it could yeah. be anything, um, that would have the biggest impact on their health, what would you have them do? I would have to say accept responsibility. Whoa. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I mean... I think that's going to give you the foundation for any of the change, right? So it may not be your fault, but you have options. And that's, I think, the message that I like to continue is the more and more we are learning about physiology. Yeah, there are some people got a good draw and made bad choices. Some people got a really, really tough draw. Okay, what are you going to do about it? You still have an option. You still can have some control but you have to make that choice. And to me, that's empowering. So um, take more responsibility for the things, um, whether you're getting your health, your longevity goals, any of that, the more you can put on yourself, I think the better we're gonna be. Mm. I dig that. Dr. Andy Galvin, everybody, thank you so thank much, you. man. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.